see you. Good to have you here. Have some new faces. Good, glad, glad you came to worship with us today. Um, had winter yesterday, spring like today. The sun's still shining though, both days. That's good. A uh, couple announcements, I guess, is uh, there's a membership meeting following after a delay after the service. So uh, if you're a member, if you're not a member, you're welcome to join us. You'll do a little bit of business, maybe. Uh, Grand Prix workshop coming up in a week, two weeks from this past Friday. Uh, crosswalk coming up. Hopefully we have warm weather. Um, and Easter is just around the corner. So a lot of things to do, a lot of preparations. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to 65, 70 degrees. Even though we haven't had a hard winter, we've been stuck inside mostly. So praise the Lord for warm weather. Uh, anything else? Anybody got another announcement they want to say or mention? Not this one. Okay, so let's so open a prayer and then we'll go into, into our worship. The Father Lord, thank you for uh, this bright, beautiful day you've given us. Thank you for another day to live in the life and to be here today with other people in your body and worship you. Just ask you, Lord, to be with us, the worship team is to lead us, you know, the pastor who speaks as he is going to come and speak to us the words that you've given up, him to share for us, and also, Lord, be with our. Uh, little ones as they separate in a little bit to go to their lessons. And just ask the Lord to watch over us, keep us safe. Uh, speak to us today, Lord. And uh, thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, good morning everybody. Good morning. From the highest of heights to the depths of the Inspired us moments or conversations, things that we've seen throughout the week. Um, got any volunteers or moments that we've seen throughout the week that inspired us? Ariana. I have a song. I have a song. 
snippet of it, I'm not going to share the whole song, in just interest of time, but, um, I'm just going to read this first little piece of it, it says, the greatest pattern and example that Jesus showed us, what he displayed at the cross, you remember when they were spitting on him, when they were hating him, he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yes, he loved us anyways. He loved them anyways. The times that we despise him, the times that we pushed him away and saying, I don't want your ways, I want to do my things. He loved us anyways. I am forever grateful for that type of love. Thank you, Father God. Bless my enemies, my family, or my friends. So... We have to understand that there's so many times, like I, I can think of countless times before I got saved where I despised God, I hated everything about God, I thought he was out to get me, I thought he was just a big bully, and yet I have learned that even though we can do that to God, he still loves us. And it's that kind of love that we as Christians should have towards everyone. Mm. And it is, I personally, I mean personally, I think that is the hardest thing to do because I'm sorry, I have a very hard time loving people that that curse me, that hate me, that talk down on me. I have a very hard time trying to show that person love, and I can't imagine anyone would be able to easily do that. But that is the example that God set for us as Christians, that this is the kind of love we should have. And could you just imagine the amount of change in the world if everyone could ha have that same thought that God had when he sent Jesus, was just to show love. The amazing change that the world would be fixed. I mean, there's so many things that... Yeah, and that's the thing, is the world would be so much better off if we would just learn to love. And you could still love somebody and disagree with them, but as long as we loved each other and we cared about each other, we wouldn't have all the stupid stuff that we have going on right now. Yes. Right. I was standing up here, um, you know, Ariana brought a song, RJ's brought song lyrics, and it's a pretty consistent theme is people are bringing inspiration from music. I'm realizing that uh, it's a great blessing that God has given us. Uh, the creativity and um, all the tools we need to make amazing music to inspire and encourage other people. Um, even for Christians to take inspiration from potentially non-Christian music at times. 
Uh, it's really amazing and great blessing. One of my favorite songs is a song. It's a very, very emotional song. This really cool. My mom sent this to me. I'm just reading out loud. It said, I asked God to take away my habit. God said, No. It's not for me to take away, but for you to give it up. I asked God to grant me patience. God said, No. Patience is a byproduct of tribulations. It isn't granted, it is learned. I asked God to spare my pain. God said, No. Suffering draws you apart from worldly cares and brings you closer to me. I asked God to give me happiness. God said, No. I give you blessings. Happiness is up to you. I was like, That one's really good. I asked God that for all things that I might enjoy in life. God said, No. I will give you life so that you may enjoy all things. I asked God to help me love others as much as he loves me. God said, ah, finally, you get the idea, my child. <laughs> but, uh, and I'll uh, finish with this verse, Romans 8, 38, 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor death, or death yet, neither height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think Paul just put it out there. That's everything. He didn't miss a beat. That nothing can separate us from the love of Christ that's in Jesus. And I always share this and share it to yourself. Share it to God and share it with somebody else. What are you convinced about? Think about it. Right. Okay, anybody else got anything before we head back into worship? All right, I'm going to pray. Uh, and we're going to go into offering and worship. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this beautiful earth you've given us to, to live on, um, the love that you provided for us, giving uh, your son for us. Um, we need your help, Lord, and I pray that you would give it to us to show that same love to others around us, um, you know, people who have cursed us, people who, who may dislike us or hate us or come against us. Uh, we know that you love them, and we want to love them the same way you love them, Lord. Um, be with us. Help us to not take for granted um, all the moments that we live. Uh, I know I do it all the time. Uh, but every moment you created for us, so beautiful, Lord. And I'm so grateful for it. I pray that you bless the tithes and offerings. Uh, be with us as we go out in the world and you bring us comfort and wisdom, Lord. In Jesus' name.
Amen. one of my grandchildren over to the house, uh, my youngest grandson, Carson, and Ariana was there, and um, I want to say Zayden and Caleb were the other two, not sure where Jason was, and uh, they wanted a treat, candy, snacks, something, and so uh, we got cheese balls. I buy these big giant jugs of cheese balls. They're not good for you, but if you eat them in small amounts, it's not really a problem. And the grandkids love them for snacks. And so I got little styrofoam cups out, and I put cheese balls in the cups. And I put some in each cup, and I prepared three cups. And Carson was going to be the big boy, so he was going to take the cups to each of the other three grandchildren. And Ariana, who's my child, not my grandchild. So it's two and two grandchildren and Ariana. So he went and gave them all the cups. And they were pleased to get the cups because they wanted a snack. And then Carson came back to me and he stood by the table and I had put the cheese balls back up on the fridge uh, and he looked at me and he said, um, Where, where's my cheese balls? And I said, oh, you want cheese balls too? He goes, yeah, where's my cheese balls? Can't I have cheese balls too? And I said, well, I don't know. I, I think I gave you enough cheese balls for everybody. And he said, no, I, I want some cheese balls. Give me some cheese balls. And I said, that's not very nice asking. And he says, please, may I have some cheese balls too? So needless to say, I gave him the cheese balls. But there is a, a lesson in that moment in time. Because he was given enough cheese balls for three people, three cups, one cup for each person. He could have kept one cup of cheese balls and gave them two cups to uh, two of the other kids and not given any to, say, Ariana or Caleb. He could have done that. And he would have for sure had some cheese balls. And then... Two of them would have had cheese balls, and one person would have had to go without, but at least it wouldn't have been him, right? But because he assumed that he could come back to me and ask for more cheese balls, that there was more cheese balls in the plastic barrel, because he assumed that that was true, he had no problem with giving the cheese balls to the three others. There's a word that we use in Christian context, and in the world, it's kinda, it kind of has the same context, but it's a little different, um, and the word is sacrificially. Now, I don't mean a sacrifice like an animal sacrifice, um, like voodoo or something, or a sacrifice like the Old Testament. Uh, the Jews would do sacrifices in understanding that there would eventually be one perfect sacrifice. They would sacrifice on the altar in the temple. Um, sacrificially means when you give something, you pay something, you do something, and it hurts. It goes beyond what maybe you're actually capable of. And I submit to you that it is possible to do the most sacrificial things as a Christian because you know that your Heavenly Father will take care of you. I'd like you to keep that thought in mind then today as we go to the Scripture. Maybe give me a little hoot holler or amen as we look at Luke chapter 20. Yeah! Thank you very much, those of you who participate in that little object lesson. That marks the time at which we will turn to the Scripture. We will read from the Scripture. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to read along. If not, listen intently. It is good to read along because intaking scripture can be done both through your ears and your eyes at the same time, and you will remember more that way. You may even see something before or after the text that I read that you wouldn't have otherwise seen if you don't bring your own Bible. So Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 9, 
We are moving in Jesus' public ministry toward his arrest, his betrayal, his arrest, and his crucifixion. And obviously that is kind of the time of year that we are in right now as we look toward Easter and celebrate his resurrection. Verse 9. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. So here we got this guy. He's obviously a wealthy man. He owns a vineyard. It's planted. It's all ready to go. And then he rents it to some vine growers. People are going to work the land. And then he leaves for quite a while. Verse 10. And at harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order that they might give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers, vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. So it's time to collect the payment, right? So they're renting the vineyard. They don't own it. They didn't plant it. It's not theirs. And he sends a slave or servant to go to them and say, okay, it's time to pay the rent. Rather than doing that, they beat the servant and send the servant away empty-handed. So this is getting going way in the wrong direction really fast. Verse 11, and he proceeded to send another slave, and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And so now he, he sends another appeal. It's time to pay. Come on. Even though the first one was treated very badly, he sends another. And that servant, going probably wasn't thinking his prospects were great because he already knew what had happened to the first servant. But he went. And then they beat him, treated him shamefully, sent him away empty-handed. Verse 12, he proceeded to send a third, and this one also they wounded and cast out. Now notice, they have damaged severely each servant who has come to collect the master's payment. They didn't kill them, but they hurt them and even treated them shamefully. Verse 13, and the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. So obviously his son carries his authority to some degree, such as it is for a son who uh, his father is still alive. And he thought, sent the servants, they beat the servants, cast them out, didn't pay. I'll send my son. Surely they'll respect him. Verse 14. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, this is the heir. Let, his, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. Now, that isn't really how it works. They're not going to get the, vine, the vineyard just because they killed the son. Although there is a little known law that said that if the father would then pass away and would have no heir at all, those working the land could theoretically inherit. But odds are that was not going to happen because the dad is not on the verge of passing away. He has not passed away. right? He's not going anywhere. And so they really have only the hope of retribution. That's really all they have. So this is a foolish notion on their part, but it goes to show that they have something in their possession that they care about deeply. It is the vineyard and the produce thereof. And they are so wrapped up in that that they cannot pay the rent and keep it. That is to say, they cannot be good stewards of it. They cannot give out of the abundance of it. And still, they decide they will kill the heir with a strange hope that maybe the land will become theirs. 15. And they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. And it could stop there. That would be bad enough. This is, it would be a horrible tale, like a Friday the 13th movie or something, a terrible horror tale of how they mistreated everybody that came to the vineyard. But it goes on. Jesus asked this question. What, therefore, will the owner of the vineyard do to them? In other words, 
They mistreated his servants. They killed his son. Now the owner of the vineyard, the wealthy man in the parable, what will he do to the vineyard renters who are supposed to be willing to pay? Jesus answers his own question. Now a lot of times that doesn't happen, right? You know how Jesus is. He asks the question, and it's meant to get you thinking, right? But he answers his own question. He says, he will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. I submit to you that he asks the question and answers the question because everybody that's already there kind of understands what he's talking about. Watch this. And when they heard it, they said, may it never be. They don't want that to be what's going to happen. He looked at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. So the ones that they would not take and use, they, that was made the chief cornerstone that would make the entire rest of the building have to line up with the chief cornerstone. This, that's a quote from Psalm 118, by the way. 18. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. There they were, realizing that this story is about them. And as they read it, or as they listen to Jesus speak, and he asks that question, and he answers that question, they realize he is literally talking about them. The entire crowd gathered, they realize he is literally talking about them. Over in Matthew, you can flip there if you want, beginning in verse 33, the same parable is told. We're not going to read it all again. It begins in verse 33, Matthew 21, 33. And we just read then essentially for Matthew, verse 44, it says, And he who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Then verse 45, and when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, they understood that he was speaking about them. So there it is. They know that this parable is about them. These are the chief priests and the Pharisees. So they're the leaders of the Jewish people, the people speaking, the people tending in the temple. The Pharisees were the traveling. They were proselyting, preaching the word of God and trying to lead people into the Jewish faith. And they knew that Jesus was talking about them. Verse 46. And when they sought to seize him, they feared the multitudes because they held him to be a prophet. When they sought to seize him, they feared the multitudes because they held him to be a prophet. In the book of Mark, the same parable is listed. And it ends essentially with the same statement. And they were seeking to seize him, and yet they feared the multitude, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. And so they left him and went away. The scribes of the chief, chief priests received the, received the parable, realized it is about them. The vineyard owner lent the vineyard, renters, one by one, persecuted his servants, 
Finally, he sends his son. They kill him too. Reasoning the vineyard shall be theirs. Jesus asks, what will the vineyard owner do? He answers, he will throw them out and give the vineyard to someone else. They say, may it never be. Because they don't want it to be because they realize the story is about them. Jesus quotes the the prophecy about the cornerstone. Now it will be surrounded in just such a controversy. They can't or they won't take him because the crowds are there. They were restrained by a people that moved to resist them if they should try to take Jesus. After this, we see the story that we read last week, back to Luke 20. First comes the tribute, then the Sadducees come and they ask him about the resurrection. The resurrection. They praise Jesus. They say, Teacher, we know. Remember this from last week? We know you are a great teacher. And they ask the question. Verse 20. They watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so as to deliver him up to the ruler and the authority of the governor. That's verse 20 in 2020. It's 2020. They come into his presence and they begin to make statements that talk about how good he is, how right he is, and but all the while they have an agenda. So this is what I want you to see in this text. It's really just one point, but then we are going to break it down. Okay? There are those who make this statement of Jesus' righteousness in order to secure their place in his presence for a time. So there will be those who respond to an invitation. They'll pray with you in a restaurant. They'll respond to a televangelist. All of these kinds of things. There will be those who say just the right things in order to stay close to Jesus, but they have a different agenda. Being near Jesus with an agenda is actually ruin. But being near Jesus then has a look, doesn't it? Do you know what the word baptism means? Don't, don't answer, but just think about it. Do you know what it means? Do you know what the word Christian means? Could you name 15 or 20 books of the Bible? Could you name a few of the Ten Commandments? Not necessarily all ten. We learned in a study recently that most Christians can't name all ten of the Ten Commandments, which is really sad. But could you name a few of them? Could you quote scripture when you're, you're in a conversation with a friend about What's what you should do? Like, do you know the golden rule? It says, treat others as you would want to be treated. Not as you, as they treat you, but as you would want them to treat you. Right? Do you know the golden rule? So we know just enough to use the right words, the right scripture, and so on. And that looks pretty good. If you get in a conversation with a non-Christian, you will be able to convey that you are. In fact, I talk a lot of times with folks who claim to be Christian, talk about Christians, and sometimes at the front desk of the life station, sometimes it's at their door, sometimes the house and community, the store, or restaurant, whatever, and they profess to be a Christian. And frankly, they know the language. 
They, t- they will tell you how awesome it is to know Jesus, how important it is to follow Jesus. Now, if you talk with them at length, you'll quickly discover that they have another agenda. They'll say things like, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to worship. I don't need to give. I'm not part of a church. I'm not part of a church body. Or you ask them, when's the last time they talked to somebody about Jesus? And they'll say, oh, well, it was a few weeks ago or a few months ago or maybe never. When you dig into it, you find out that they are not actually walking the ways that Jesus walked. They're just hanging out, looking like they're in the presence of Jesus. The question is, I suppose then, is this parable about us? Living in the Lord's vineyard by no means make you an ally of the vineyard or of the Lord. You could live there, you can tend it, you can get the blessings from it. You can say it belongs to him, and I work it for him, and all year round, people are going to go, oh yeah, uh, RJ and Ron and Tommy, they work for so-and-so, all year round. And then when the day comes, when the servant is sent to collect the payment, when the rent is to be paid, when the funds are supposed to go in the bank, you don't pay. And on that day, it becomes quite evident that you do not work for the owner of the vineyard. But the rest of the year, you're tending the vineyard, you're bringing in the crops, and the land belongs to him, right? Being near with some other kind of agenda looks almost the same as being near with God's agenda. So ruin has a look. It looks like being a Christian. That's what it looks like. I was watching a... a a movie yesterday, and I, I want to ball like a baby. I wasn't feeling good. I have a cold. In fact, I took a later. I'll tell you about a substantial risk I took this morning, and just being uh, just while I've been here, while I was watching this movie, there was a scene, and the man was saying he was talking. You know, you're talking about salvation. Let's say, does anybody here think it'd be absolutely horrible to wind up in hell? Yeah, it'd be horrible to wind up in hell, right? I'll tell you what, it'd be worse than winding up in hell. Winding up in hell after you spent your life thinking you were going to heaven. That's what would be worse, right? Jesus tells a parable of the wedding feast wherein he finds a man there in the wrong clothes. And he says, what are you doing here in the wrong clothes? And the guy says, well, I, uh, I don't know. Uh, and he's thrown out into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the other part of the parable where people made a lot of excuses and everybody was invited. We all love that because that means we're all welcome at the wedding feast, right? And you are. Whether you've accepted Jesus Christ currently or not, you are welcome at the wedding feast. You are invited. But whether or not you will be allowed to stay at the wedding feast when the time comes is going to be determined by whether or not you have a relationship with the one throwing the feast. Not just did you work his vineyard, Right? We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. But not everybody who says that will enter the kingdom of God. Not even everybody who says Lord will enter the kingdom of God. But the one who follows the commands of his Father in heaven. Being near with an agenda may look like Christianity, but it's actually ruin. It's actually ruin.
Notice then, they facilitated this being near with an agenda by speaking the right words. If you've studied your Bible, and I know quite a few of you have studied your Bible, I hope you do it more and more as time goes on, but you know some stories, you know some things, some, some of the parables. You've probably heard this parable before if you've studied your Bible quite a bit. And you could probably tell this story. I could have said, could somebody tell me the, the parable of the vineyard owner? And you might have been able to kind of relate the story. You might have known where it was at in the Bible and said, yeah, that's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three, but not in John. And you can speak the words that will make you look like you belong in the kingdom of God. And in some sense, the right words actually meant do make you belong, right? Confess with the mouth. So you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and receive him. So there is a speaking that must go on and we encourage one another with words. But what you don't know is while you're struggling through whatever and someone's encouraging you so that you can get through and continue on and you're claiming Christ, you don't know if that other person who's there encouraging you, encouraging you, just know the words. You can't. I wish that we could say, I know that person saved, I know that person saved, but that's not your job. Your responsibility is to be saved, to appeal to the God of heaven through his son Jesus Christ and allow Jesus to wash your sins away, yes, and then to become a reconciler, to go out and take that message to anyone who will listen so that they can, so that they're able to do what they couldn't possibly do, which is be saved. And then being saved, that they will do what they know they should do out of being saved, which is live for the Lord. But there are those who draw near by speaking the right words. I have known pastors and deacons who have been pastor or deacon for decades, decades, and then say, you know what, I realize I never gave my life to the Lord. Pastors. Some people in the room think there's a possibility that God might be calling them to be a pastor or calling them to be a deacon. Don't do it if you ain't saved. doesn't matter if you can learn the right words. First thing you need to do is submit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ in totality. Give Him everything. And you say, well, I don't even know what everything is. Yeah, that's the best time to give it to Him because once you know what it is, it's going to be awful hard. Giving Him your suffering that happens right before you die. Giving him here your brokenness that you may have to travel through at some point in time or your broken relationships or your broken hearts. Once you see the pain and difficulty that you may face or the great prosperity that you may face, that's going to be hard to give that to him. They were wrapped up in operating the vineyard. They were wrapped up in its produce. They couldn't give him the rightfully due percentage. But... They could stay near by speaking the right words. We know you are a teacher. They made themselves out. It says they pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement. <laughs> I've got people like that. They want to talk to me about Jesus. But the real reason they're looking to talk to me about Jesus is because they're trying to find some reason to justify the things that they're doing in their life. Some reason not to do the things that God has told them to do. But you look at me, if you measure me, you'll always find something. 
I am at best a regenerated lost person. I'm a fool. I just hope that I'm a fool for Jesus and not a fool the way I used to be. We all make mistakes. If you're looking for a mistake in the person that's trying to lead you closer to Jesus, you're going to find it. And then you're not going to go closer. You could spend your whole life. In fact, I think every real pastor on the face of the planet would go, you know what? I recognize that I am human. When I stand up here and preach, if you haven't studied your word, if I preach the word completely wrong today, you should already know it by the time you walk out of this room. You should be able to say, Pastor Dan, I have some problem with what you preach today. I, I'm really struggling with this. Don't come all haughty and mean and nasty to me, but come with humility and say, Pastor, I have a problem with what you preached. And that's happened to me a couple of times in my time as a pastor. And I had to come back and I say, no, I said this, but what I meant was this. I said this, but what I should have said was this. And I had to correct it. And, and don't think that you're above and beyond it just because you studied a lot or you figured out a lot or you got through that big, thick study guide that you got. It doesn't work that way. You're still human. And everything that you will interpret, you will interpret through your worldly understanding the best you have it and then hopefully corrected by the Holy Spirit. If you have the gift of discernment, you'll be discerning. And either way, you're supposed to check everything versus the Antichrist or versus Christ. Is this right? Is this what Scripture says? So I'm cautious to tell somebody, if you think you know you're supposed to do something, the first thing you want to do is go to the Word of God and make sure it doesn't tell you you can't do it. If you think you don't have to do something, first thing you need to do is go to the Word of God and make sure it doesn't tell you you have to do it. Because this is the, the world part guide, right? And then the Holy Spirit is in us, guiding us to understand this and convicting us, teaching us all things that Jesus taught. But they were being near with an agenda and they were primarily facilitating that by speaking the right words. And this can look like knowing him, but it ends in ruin. Check yourself. Do you know the living Christ? Jesus quoted verses here about the rock, if you will, that would be the stone that was disregarded by the Jews, but would become the cornerstone that the whole house would be built upon. Peter later will speak of it in 1 Peter chapter 2, 6-8. to He's not talking about this particular parable, but he is talking about the stone. He says, for this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. So who is the precious cornerstone that can be called a him? Well, it's Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? Or are you just coming near him with the right words and appearing righteous? Be careful, because the latter may be a lot more comfortable than the former. Verse 7 of that same passage, chapter 2 of 1 Peter, it says this, This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, they... This became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are, listen for it, they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. Listen to me. Those who draw near Jesus, who look like Christians, who act like Christians, who everyone would think was righteous, who use the right language, their doom is at hand. 
Jesus is not fooled. He knows if you are playing a game. He knows if you are following the instructions, putting together some kind of puzzle that will make you look like a Christian. He knows. And he'll come down on you himself when the time comes. You'd be better off to stumble at the rock of offense. Because according to Jesus, if you just stumble at the rock of offense, well then, that's painful. right? That hurts a lot. But when he comes down, when the rock comes down on you, that is destruction. When you stand before Jesus, when all is said and done, will he say, get away from me, I never knew you? Or will he say, well done, good and faithful servant? And Paul writes in the book of Romans, chapter 9, verses 30 to 33, talking about this same stone. Paul writes this. He says, what shall we say then? That Gentiles, that's us, by the way, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. In other words, even though you weren't trying to be perfectly right by the rules of God, that's not how you were living. It's certainly not how I was living my life, right? But by faith, you manage to attain that righteousness and so much more. A righteousness that can be given only by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. So they were actually trying to live righteous. They were trying to follow the rules. But generation after generation after generation, there was a built-in drift, as you would expect that there would be. And by the time Jesus came, they really weren't even trying to follow the rules. They were preaching and teaching the rules, but in the background, they were living the way they wanted. They were only standing there pretending to be righteous. They could minister in the temple and say, we're serving the Lord God who owns the entire universe. But in their hearts, they weren't really for him. They had another agenda. We see that accusation versus the scribes elsewhere. We talked about it last week where he said they love to be seen. And that was their problem. He says, but Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at the law. Verse 32, why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. You see what God has done? If you decided today, based on the sermon that I'm giving you, to follow the word of God, if you said, I am going to do everything that this Bible tells me to do from now on, I will perfectly attend to God's needs. Whatever I can figure out God wants me to do, I will work my butt off and do it exactly right. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, which means he tells you what to do and you do it, as your Savior, which means he pays the price for your sin, if you have not done that, you will go to hell despite every best effort. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's what they did. A whole people following the word of God, they said, preaching the word of God, memorizing whole books of the Bible, fasting completely from food and water for two days a week, 24 hours, no food or water, two days a week, these Pharisees did. But they did not like the fact that this parable that Jesus told basically explained that they would not keep the kingdom of God. It would be wrested away from them and given to those who believed, that's what I said, 
who believed in the one whom God sent. The psalm that Jesus was quoting, I mentioned to you earlier, was Psalm 118. And this is what that originally says. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That last part might sound kind of familiar if, you're, if you like lyrics of songs. This is the Lord's doing. The cornerstone, remember? The stone of stub, the block of stumbling, the stone that will fall and crush. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And so now we see essentially a simple three-part response to the recognition that the only way you're ever going to get to heaven is through Jesus. To the recognition that the only way you're ever going to be righteous is if you get imputed righteousness from Jesus because you've already sinned, and even after you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you almost certainly will sin again. Because of your sin nature, the desires that are still in you, there will still probably be sin. And because there is sin, we need this way that God has done it. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief's cornerstone. If you will align yourself with Jesus, you will be built into a body aligned with Jesus. You will be in no danger of just being there because you talk right <coughs> or being there because you have another agenda. Instead, you will actually be with the Lord. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Three simple takeaways. The first one is this. God did it. Expressly put past tense. God did it. It's already done. Sins are already paid for. Resurrection is already in place. All the necessary sacrifices have already been made for a person to be saved. God did it. God set the world up from the moment he said, let there be light, to the moment that his son entered in, died, and rose again, to the moment that you heard the gospel, to the moment that you sit here today. God did it. He did it all. If you're trying to do it, you're making a mistake. If you're not responding to it as if it was never done, you're making a mistake because he did it. Past tense. Done. It said, this is the Lord's doing. He did it. Also, it is awesome. It is marvelous in our eyes. We see this. This is incredible. Get this. Even though you think about the worst thing you ever did right now, the thing that would give you post-traumatic stress if you thought too much about it. Think about the worst thing. Even though you did that, God sent his son. And if you can believe on him and receive him into your life, you can be forgiven for that and spend eternity with him and abundant life beginning now. That's amazing. You're not a Jew. You never attended temple. You never experienced circumcision as a small baby. Unless, of course, it was for medical purposes. Right? Or as a grown man, which would be even worse. When you became a, a Jew afterwards, that'd be terrible. The point is this. This is an awesome thing that God has done. And it's already done. And that's why we celebrate. The third point being, the time is now. 
This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So I want you to think about the worst thing that's going on in your life right now. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I want you to think about the best thing that's going on in your life right now. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You don't have to rejoice because of the good things that are going on in your life. In fact, I want to submit to you that when you praise God for the good things that are going on in your life, that is a shallow praising. Real praising, real joy in the Lord is recognizing that this is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice in it when the day, by our own assessment, is horrible. When we're struggling in our worst. And we rejoice not because the day is horrible, but because this is the day that the Lord has made. So out of it, he is going to bring something incredible, Romans 8. Or out of it, he is going to do what it is that he set out to do, which is take you to heaven for an eternity. You have not struggled so far. I mean, like, I know you've been through some stuff. I've been through some stuff. We've all been through some stuff. But compared to Jesus, it don't count. It's nothing. You've not been whipped until the skin's missing on your back and people can see your bones and muscles and sinew near death. If you're scarred, that, that whip would come around and take parts of your face with each strike. Have you been through that? No. We've not been through anything like what Jesus went through. And he stayed the course to the end and rejoiced. He did it for the joy that was set before him. This is the day that the Lord has made. The time is now. There's a song that the Lord brought to my attention and has a number of times, specifically while I was in my recent sabbatical. And there were two of them, actually, by an artist named Lauren Daigle. And one of those songs are These Are the Days. And I was listening to this song. It says, open your eyes, open your eyes. I'm telling you why. You'll see heaven inhabit our praises. This is what we came for. Singing a song of paradise, believing the good news is alive. This is the great jubilation. This is what we came for, what he came for. Oh, these are the days. These are the days. These are the days we've been dreaming of. So don't look away, because these are the days. These are the days. Better get them while they come. Don't you understand that that horrible thing that you might be going through right now, as bad as it might be, that diagnosis, that broken relationship, whatever, these are the days. If you go, I'm waiting for a better day, one may never come. Because right now you're dealing with a bad diagnosis. Next week you may be dealing with a broken heart and a bad diagnosis. These are the days. We praise him because he did it. It is awesome. And the time is now. So then what does sacrificially mean in this Christian context? Because that's what we're called to. That praise, the same way as when we praise him when, it's, when we're down and out or hurting or don't feel like it, that praise is what truly gives him glory. Our sacrificial actions that we're called to in the Lord truly give him glory. We're called to give, give him our money, our food, things you don't need anymore and things someone else could make better use of or maybe even just as an act of kindness and to do so sacrificially. Are you giving sacrificially? Your tithe is not giving, by the way. The tithe is God's money. You give them, Sacrificially, you give above and beyond. Serving. Meet the needs of others. Volunteer. Provide labor to do something that someone else could do so that they don't have to. Sometimes we're about doing something that they can't do. But really, service is when you do something for someone else so that they don't have to do it. 
And we ought to be glad for the opportunity. And we should do so sacrificially, meaning it should hurt. It should go beyond what we're capable of. Pray. Engage in a systematic battle to affect the spiritual realm for God's glory. Lift up specific requests that people have mentioned to you. Pray for God to do what God would do anyway. Do you get that? The Lord's Prayer says we should pray for God to do what God would do anyway. But we're only praying for what we think God won't do. Or what we think God needs to do. And we think God should do because we want that outcome. We, would, we need to pray for what God would do anyway. You pray for healing, you realize God would do that anyway. It is his will. And we pray his will be done. But then we have to do it sacrificially, which means we have to stop watching so much TV and reading so many other things and finding so many other ways to entertain ourselves, etc., and mark out time to systematically pray and serve and give. Fellowship. You're supposed to, as a Christian, you're supposed to share your life by being here, by listening, by inviting, by caring more for the concerns of others than you do for your own. And to do so sacrificially. I went to the hospital to visit a woman who was dying. She was dying. They had told her, they'd called in the family. But as I was making the visit, I was the only one in the room. And I said, hey, how you doing? I called her by name. And she said, I'm doing fine. How are you? And I said, I'm, I'm doing fine. I couldn't possibly say anything that I was, you know, struggling, having trouble with or anything like that when, when uh, she was dying, you know. But she noticed something and she said, there's something going on. What is it? And I said, well, this is the problem, but God's taking care of it. It's going to be fine. It's, going to be, it's not going to be a problem. And she said, well, let's pray about it right now. And she began to pray out loud to the Lord. I went to a conference in Florida, of all places, beautiful. I rented a motorcycle for one day while I was there and drove and kind of regretted it a little bit because at night when I drove, it was really cold. In the daytime when I drove, all the exhaustion were killing me. But I'm at the conference, and they pipe in this guy from China who's a missionary working behind the lines in China in a place where you are not allowed to share the gospel, not allowed to give away Bibles, and he's sharing the gospel and giving away Bibles. And they bring him on screen. And, and I'm thinking, this is an opportunity for us to pray for him. This is an opportunity to support him. And he starts to talk about all the people that have died serving Jesus behind the lines, if you will, in China in recent months. And all the while, I'm thinking, okay, any second now, we're going to have prayer for this guy. We're going to pray. He's on the front line. He's serving Jesus. We're going to pray for this guy. And he says, and so at this point, I would like to pray for you. The guy from China who's lost family members, a sibling, friends, everybody that he graduated high school from that had become a Christian was dead, all killed for their faith. And he says, let me pray for you. And he proceeds before he goes to pray. He says, because I know what it's like there in America. And I'm like, what? This is pre-COVID, pre-dissension, if you will, division, at least as, as it has been the last four years. I don't know, what is he talking about? He knows the way it is in America. And what he said was, I know how it is that you live in such an amazing place that it's so hard to make sure and give God his due. And he proceeded on the screen in front of all of us men, probably 5,000 of us men, 
pastors and deacons and missionaries to pray for us. That we would realize that our vineyard is so good, but that we would then give the Lord His due. She was dying and prayed for my relatively petty concern. Everyone around him was dying, and for all I know, he's probably dead now. And he prayed that we would be the church of Christ. That sacrificially. If your life is really, really good, you still got to find a way to pray sacrificially. If your life is really, really good, you got to find a way to care about the needs of others more than yourself. I could go all the way down this list of spiritual disciplines that Jesus has given us. But hear me now. If you do them all, if you pray like I'm describing, if you fellowship like I'm describing, if you give money, if you shut up and let God speak by practicing silence and solitude, if you serve, not expecting anything in return, self-sacrificially bleed on your task for someone else, but don't have Jesus. It's just a path to ruin. It'll look really good. In fact, you can probably get a job as a pastor. Probably serve the church as a deacon. Everyone will be singing your praises. In fact, they'll be trying to say the right things and do the right things so they can stay near you. Because it's obvious to them that you're going to heaven just as Jesus was and it was obvious and yet, they were blind. The parable of the vineyard is a much, as much about us today. What have you been blessed with? And how are you using it sacrificially for the Lord? Now, in Jesus' day, the parable was definitely about how they persecuted the prophets. Nobody likes it when God says things through men to challenge you to do what's right. And they per- the Jews persecuted the prophets. And then God sent his own son. And it was in the offing that he would, pers- they, he would be persecuted unto death. But Jesus didn't stay dead. The stone that was rejected became this cornerstone. And the question is, are you stumbling on it? Meaning, you're trying to do the good works, you're trying to do whatever, but you're not truly submitting your life to the Lord and letting him be in charge? Or are you bound to be crushed by it because you're walking a path pretending to truly be a Christian, using the right words, doing the right things, but you know in your heart, not Jesus, but you, or maybe demons and evil spirits, or some idea that you have is in charge? Start by saying no. No to the ideas of this world. No to your own ideas. And consider how marvelous it is that the God of the universe would send his own son to die for you. That if you would accept him in truth, you would have abundant life on this earth, even through trials and difficulties and suffering, and there will be sorrow and suffering on the road of righteousness, on the highway of holiness. Even through that, you could say, rejoice, for this is the day that the Lord has made. The next time that you're in the worst spot you think you've ever been in, or in worst spot recently, you get the worst news, or something's falling apart, say to yourself, ah, but I'm going to heaven. Ah, but Jesus is living in me, 
And if in that moment when you're facing that trial, you can't find Jesus living in you, then he's probably not living in you now. Because my experience is when things get really rough, he shows up in force. Not to fix the problems, I'm not saying that. Sometimes that happens. Silent prayers are answered. It's true. But to hold me together so that I don't crumble. I'm a living testimony. I had to repent this week as I was preparing this message because I realized it's so easy. I'm blessed. I have a beautiful wife, a beautiful home. We have beautiful jobs that get the job done even though they're so frustrating at times. Pay the bills. Beautiful kids, beautiful grandkids, a lot of friends, a great church. I love this church. I wouldn't, given my choice, I would never serve a church that's not like this one. Because this is a church where people desire to follow Jesus. But if you've been playing the game, you need to be warned. You need to stop. Because it may look like Christianity, but it leads to ruin. But all of those blessings make it possible for me to forget that they are all given to me so that I can give and serve and work, fellowship, pray sacrificially. Risk it all. So then, in God's infinite wisdom, and I'll close on this point, I came here this morning and I I have a pretty bad sore throat right now. And so as I was coming in, I enlisted some folks to take care of some of my talking that I normally have to do. Praise God, they're willing to do that, and they're probably better at it than I am. And I was praying, I say, Lord, do I sing or not? Because I'm, I'm on the very last straw of my voice this morning. Do I sing or not? And the Lord didn't answer. And I, all I could think of was all those Bible verses that say, rejoice, sing, praise, sing, sing praises, praise, praise, praise. And so I said to the Lord, I said, okay, well, here's what's going to happen, Lord. I'm going to sing praise. And when it comes time to preach, I have no voice, then there won't be no preaching. Or I'll enlist somebody or we'll figure something out. We'll get it somehow or other. So but I'm going to leave it up to you. And I sang. And now I've preached. And I'm grateful. And an hour I may not be able to talk. But I risked this sermon for those praises. Did you sing? It says rejoice. For this is the day that the Lord has made. Could you not find it in yourself this morning to sing praises to God because your situation, because you don't like the sound of your voice, whatever it might be, but he's God. And there is one reason and one reason alone to praise him. And that is because he wants us to. I ask the praise team to come forward at this time. This is going to conclude the message, but I'm asking you today, search in your heart and ask yourself, have you drawn near Jesus by using the right words, by behaving a certain kind of way, Are you pretending to be righteous? Or are you truly righteous? When the chips are down, when the worst happens, will you stick with Jesus? It's determined largely by whether or not he is living in you. And if he is living in you, then you're not. 
then your eyes will be everywhere looking for a solution, looking to solve the problem that you're facing. Everywhere but Jesus. Jesus is Lord. He is the rock. Stumble not on the rock. Be crushed not by the rock. Do not live only to have your vineyard ripped from you and given to someone else. Live as a great steward of all that God has blessed you with and return to him. Sacrificial. As we sing. We sing the song. the song. And then if the Lord is speaking to your heart, you respond. Accepting Jesus Christ is the first time. Repenting of a particular sin. Needing to be baptized. Some other decision that the Lord is saying, how it might be, you need to profess it openly so we can pray for you. Whenever God is moving, you move. Yeah.